podcast. It's like if Justin Bieber was also an Olympic athlete, you know? <laughs> I suppose so, yeah. I find that there are similarities though. One taught me that what you put in is what you get out. The work equals improvement. Sometimes you just sort of just have to jump off the deep end and then find your feet once you're out there. You're never gonna feel ready. My first race back was terrible. Failure isn't failure, really. Failure or just... It's information. I want you to imagine, conjure in your mind, a talented, young, handsome pop star. Someone like maybe Justin Bieber or perhaps Shawn Mendes, except this particular pop star isn't just a musician. He also happens to be an incredibly talented athlete, an athlete so extraordinary that a couple years ago, he decides to put down the guitar and walk away from his fast-paced Hollywood lifestyle to get back in the pool for the first time since he was 13 and pursue with all his focus, all his energy, a lifelong dream of competing in the Olympics. It sounds like fiction, but believe it or not, this is the true story of Cody Simpson, a young Australian who went from this chlorine-soaked little kid sharing his musical talents on YouTube from his bedroom to, in rapid, almost overnight fashion, global fame. A dizzying, disorienting period in which he traveled the world, performed before massive crowds, acted on Broadway and in movies and television, modeled for luxury brands, dated celebrities, only to discover it an empty promise, a life out of alignment and integrity with his higher self. Something was missing. Out of an instinct for survival, Cody proceeds to do what many would consider unthinkable. He walked away from all of it. He left LA and moved back home to the Gold Coast and began to reconnect with that 13-year-old Cody the kid who loved to swim, was good at swimming. He couldn't shake wondering what might have been had he not forsaken the Speedo for the stage and decided to do something about it. I cannot overstate how radical this is. World-class competitive swimming is a sport in which the elite never dare to take more than a month off here and there. But not only did Cody return to the sport after a dormant decade, he quickly began to excel beyond any reasonable expectation, clocking world-class times in the 100-meter butterfly, and at this point is 100% legit in the running to make the Australian Olympic team for Paris 2024. Now, as a former competitive swimmer myself, I can tell you that what he is attempting to do, what he is doing, is absolutely unprecedented. I wanted to know more, I needed to know more, so when I found myself in Australia this past spring, I tracked him down, and here we are. A Couple more things I wanna add about Cody before we get into it, but first. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with 
next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking Ons high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Okay, Cody Simpson. Today we dive into the deep end of the pool to plumb Cody's story, his arc as a musician, the difference between art and fame, what he has learned as a performer that now helps him as an athlete, the whys and hows behind 
his Olympic dream, and how you can achieve two massive and wildly different goals in a lifetime. Now, I'll be honest, I wasn't sure what to expect with Cody. His story is certainly wild, but what kind of person is he? And all I will say is that I left this conversation super impressed with him, not just as an artist and as an athlete, but as a young man of copious talents I now call friend who has grown up, matured into someone who knows who he is, understands what's important to him, isn't afraid to take risks in pursuit of his dreams, and exudes an experience-earned wisdom that belies his age. Before we get into it, two quick things. First, this conversation was recorded way back in May on the cusp of Australia's World Championship trials, which we discuss. Alas, Cody narrowly missed qualifying for that team, but I can tell you he is back in the pool and super focused in his training. Second, I coaxed Cody into performing a song at the end, which you are not going to want to miss. So please do not skip out early on this one, people. Okay, this is me and Cody. Let's dig it. Um, thank you for inviting me into your beautiful home. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's an good honor to have you. Here, you. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Uh, I've been following you for a while now, and it's been quite a, uh, a a kind of dramatic unfoldment in so many unique and interesting ways that I want to explore with you today. So you you're of that generation where you start as a very young kid sharing your songs online, right? Like originally on MySpace. Yeah, that's how it all started, and then eventually YouTube. I was literally discovered on MySpace. That's nuts. <laughs> which is crazy to think about now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and YouTube, but but I was posting like songs I was writing when I was 11, 12, like on MySpace music. And that was, that was where I was initially contacted by a producer in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, How old were you? Uh, 12, when oh. I was first like contacted. I didn't go, end up going over there till I was sort of 13 and mm-hmm. then, um, 14 when we moved, uh, but originally I was 12 when, when I started to see some kind of get viewership and all that stuff. And I just had started for fun because I saw people were doing it. Mm-hmm. I saw kids were doing it. I saw um, people just posting these handicam videos of them playing and singing, uh, singing and playing guitar. Um, and this is sort of all well understood now. I mean, that's what happened with Justin, yeah, right? Yeah. I think it's so the like same the first, with Shawn Mendes even, right? Like, yeah. so there's a, now there's sort of a tradition and a track. Now it's kind of like the only way you, right. you are, are, are seen, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, and it's, it's a little bit more um, democratized now in the way that you sort of, anyone can just sort of jump on and start building a fan base and right. everything. Which um, is cool. Which is cool. But I was sort of at the beginning of that YouTube generation of kids that went on with the guitar and got discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was the first one out of Australia as well, um, from my knowledge, at least. I'm, right. Um, but, uh, and, that, and that's sort of, I was flown over to the States and asked to sort of cut, start cutting demos and, took some meetings with some labels who wanted to meet in, in New York and I'd never been out of the country before. Mm-hmm. So it was all very new to me and I came home for, I was telling you this the other day, uh, like came home for six months, didn't really hear anything, went back to, to swimming training um, and then basically got a deal off on the table. It was sort of 
contingent on moving to the LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately enough, my parents were willing to take me over there for I think what they thought would, would only be a little while. Um, but turned that turned out to be us relocating there full time right. once the train started moving. And you have two siblings, two younger yeah. siblings, And they right? came over with me. My, I was only 14, so my sister would have been 13. My brother was seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, so to have them do that with me and support me through that was pretty wild. Like, I don't, I don't think every family would, would, right. would do that. And I saw like my parents definitely weren't, weren't super well off or anything. Like they, they helped us get over there. And then for a while it was sort of like up to me to sort of make it happen. Right. So on some level you're supporting the family. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And your, your mom was your manager, right? No, no, no she wasn't. Okay. But um, they, they were involved in the beginning, just, just making sure I was safe and all that. Like I wasn't uh-huh. getting, you know, eaten alive. Yeah, well, you're not, I mean, you're 13, you're not going over alone. No, no, no. And, but, you know, we, we were all super new to the business. Like we didn't know anything. And, and, and as Australians too, you kind of like, you feel like everyone's telling the truth all the time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're in LA, you're in these yeah, meetings, yeah. they're all telling you everything you want to hear. And yeah. then you realize like, it's all bullshit. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And you realize a couple of years later, <laughs> oh, that was not true or, you know? Yeah. Um, so you wake up to that stuff pretty quickly. Your parents seem like really good parents. Yeah. You know, yeah. your 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 brother is like a concert pianist. Yeah. 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 Um, and he's like, is he writing a he's he, like writing a, a musical or he's yeah, he's a very good classical pianist. Uh-huh. He is he's now he's just moved to London. He bought himself a one way ticket to London. So like wow. saved up for this ticket and for a few months rent and um said, see you later to us basically. Right. Um, wanted to go and, and work in theater over there. And he's just got himself, uh, he'd, he'd done a lot of sort of local um, production and lighting and stage management and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and he's now working on an opera Wow, on West End, mm-hmm. like this Italian opera. And he's like, gets to get dressed up and go out and move props around and do all this. And he landed himself that job within like eight weeks of being there. Um, so he was like me a lot in that way, where he just like would go out and just mm-hmm. make make stuff happen for himself. And your sister's like a host and does a bunch of stuff, right? Yeah, like, yeah. A lot of sort of TV, right? Uh, fashion, beauty, that, that right, kind right, of right. thing. Yeah. But it's interesting that Social all three of you stuff. are kind of in the creative arts. Your parents were both athletes, swimmers. Yeah. Like they they weren't like making albums and writing operas. No, no, no. <laughs> Yeah. He's um yeah my my parents well, my dad my dad writes music and he he oh, sings cool. and plays guitar and oh, that's sort of go. what that's where I got it from I think that's mm-hmm. where we my mom my mom is not not highly musical um but uh they never they never pursued any anything mm-hmm. of the sort in their lives so I think seeing us all take those paths is interesting for them yeah that is uh, that's wild and so yeah. what do you when you reflect back on how you were raised, the way in which your parents raised you, like mm. what, it, it, it feels like they must be very encouraging to pursue yeah. your dreams in whatever form that, that comes in. Like how did they kind of support you on the day to day? Yeah, well, when they first, when, they, when we talk about us first moving over there, they said, they said that even if we came back in a few months, they said, worst case, we taught you to follow 
your dreams and your gut. Cause I was so passionate about wanting to go over there and mm -hmm. pursue this and take the opportunity I was given in music. So they said, worst case, we've, we've taught you that you can do that, you know? And I'm just glad they, they had an, an open enough minds to, to allow that yeah. to happen. Um, and it was good too, cause they never, they never were like pushy, even in swimming, like they never, they were encouraging, but never, never pushy, which is, right. which was good. But when you wanted to get back in the pool, your mom was not so. Yeah, when I wanted to get back that. in the pool, mom was mom was trying to stop me from <laughs> like, prevent me from want, doing it. You don't yeah. want to do that. Look what you're doing. You want to come like she yeah. knows. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. She she knew, so she she was shocked. Um, but I think when she just saw the way I talked about it, she mm -hmm. was like, "Well, I can't stop you. I haven't stopped you before." <laughs> right. Yeah. So there, you've done so many things as an entertainer. We're never going to be able to talk about all of that, but. Um, you did, you must've been 15, like when you were, when you went on tour with Bieber. So yeah. you were like the opening act 15, for him. 15, yeah, when I started, yeah. I mean, that had to be bananas. Yeah, so it was only sort of uh, a year or two into being, being LA, over there. Right. Um, just signed with Scooter Braun, mm -hmm. his manager. Um, the Swifties are gonna be very upset. What's, yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and he, and so I started, started working with, with him and his team and, and, and got to know Justin a little bit. And, you know, who obviously at that time was sort of the biggest young act in the world. Um, and just got put on, put on tour with him for, I just, just released my first album through, right. through, um, through Atlantic, through Warner and, and pretty much jumped straight on tour as his opening act for, for How did that even, that months. came together because of Scooter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And just, just um, it made sense, you know, yeah. being the, I was a couple of years younger than him, but but coming up as sort of who's another be, who's young, the next guy? young artist. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, and then so him and I sort of developed a relationship beyond that, um, ended up working on sort of playing music together and just, you know, Develop sort of a loose friendship for for a while, um, and uh, yeah, it was wild to be sort of thrust into that at that at that point. Yeah, right, going from young, six months like, prior, I was playing like shopping centers, and yeah, then like uh -huh. I'm doing doing um, arenas around the country, and we we ended up joining him on his Australia leg and and some of Europe, and so that was wild. Right. Yeah. How long were you with Scooter Braun? About three years, three, four mm -hmm. years. And that was when I I pretty much made changes to my whole situation at the same time from management to record label, pretty much asked to be let out of everything I was mm -hmm. involved in. and. Once um, you were with Scooter or after leaving him? After, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. So this is what's when really- I, when, I, when I went, Oh, I was still with him probably for for the first uh, went went independent label wise for for about twelve months and then ended up ended up um, changing management situation as well after that just because I felt like I wanted a whole new sort of approach. It was it was looking back on it now, I think it was a bit drastic of me, but but at that age, it's sort of like I almost felt sort of trapped in. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, it was a weird thing because you, you like you almost feel trapped in what you've built for yourself. Um, right. So Scooter Braun, you know, notorious hit maker. I'm sure he's 
saying to you, look, I know exactly the building blocks here and I can get you to be the next Justin, do mm. these things, live your life this way. Here's how we're gonna do it. It's all very strategic. So when you say prison, meaning the confines of like what that path was gonna look like for you as, I think a, so. as an artist? Yeah. Or? Well, and Scooter though was to, um, to his credit, he was supportive of like the musical direction I wanted to take. I don't think he was, he wasn't necessarily pushing me into a like, cookie cutter. Like a boy band. Yeah, thing, yeah. Right? He was like, yeah. I want you to, you know, you should play your guitar and you should, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was sort of, he was, if anything, pushing me in a different direction, say to Justin, who was the, you know, pop star doing, right. doing choreography and doing mm-hmm. all that stuff. But it was more just within me that I sort of say, oh, I want a different, I don't want to be in this circle, oh, you know. And it was it was because more it was more an act of just rebellion on on my part because I wasn't happy with, or or I didn't I felt like a different person to what everybody thought I I was just 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 music wise because I mm. sort of started to grow up really fast and had a lot of personal changes and you know at fifteen you at at. 18, 19, you, you start to like a lot of different things than you did when you were 15, mm-hmm. 16. And that happens pretty quickly, um, or at least it did for me. Like, right. And discovered all this other music and realized I wanted to uh, sort of make big shifts from, from where I was. Um, and now I've, it was almost like this pendulum swing one way and then it goes all the way the other way. And then now I'm sort of in back in the middle. Right. And a little so less you are- like- you were on Atlantic, right? You were yeah. signed to Atlantic. Mm-hmm. So walk me through the decision to not continue to have a relationship with a big record label and to go independent. Because I think it speaks to a larger issue around um, rights of entertainers and how you think about ownership in your own career. Like now you own your masters, right? Like. Is that true? Like yeah, you, you yeah. have your, so my, you, you have control over your library now, which is very unusual. My my later catalog, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, my my stuff sort of since, not not my Warner catalog, but yeah, what I've right. done since, yeah, I have I have sort of control over what I'd like to do with that whether I, you know, keep growing it and you sort of, you know, get your own publishing deal based on you know the masters you own. I mean, I sort of co-own masters, say with my own masters say with, you know, certain collaborators that I've worked on the the, the, um, the albums with, but yeah, it's not owned by a, a, a major right. corporation or anything. And yeah. so the, that decision was about, and you know, the creative aspect aside, like just from a business point of view and the way that the music business operates, how does that, how did, like what, how did that come about? At that point, I wasn't thinking about the, the business aspect as much. Um, I wasn't really as, as, business-minded or as financially aware as I am now, um, sort of having to almost being forced to, to, especially once you do go out on your own, you're sort of forced to learn how, how that all works. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> yeah I, now, I get a sense of you feeling like maybe, you know, like don't hold me out to have, uh, be the guy who made like the best decision, right? Yeah, like yeah, maybe yeah. I would have done it a little bit differently. Yeah, I can't, I can't say I would have done it all the uh-huh. same way then, but but but, but I think you know, long term it will it will be to your benefit yeah, to have yeah. those rights. But I also got yeah. to zoom out a little bit and and go. Did and you think did you about, like drop a grenade on your career unnecessarily? Right, right. Yeah. Sometimes I think about that. Yeah, but but as you said before, when you look back in the rear view, it's like it all makes sense, kind of right you know, the way it all unfolds. And I think I just got to keep zooming out, knowing, thinking about 
where I'm going in the future as a musician, it's all going to be to my benefit right. eventually to have have ownership of a larger mm-hmm. portion of my catalog. And um, yeah, at that point, I, I wasn't really thinking about the business side of it. I was more I was I was concerned with the way I was viewed <laughs> and mm-hmm. creatively and as a person and all this stuff. Um, but I think now I feel much more comfortable within that, within myself. And um, yeah, I, and also I haven't, I haven't given it a whole lot of thought lately cause I haven't really, I've, sh- I've just been so wrapped up in something else. Sure. Um, but the thing is, it's always there. Like swimming yeah. can't always be there no. because there's a biological clock ticking. Yeah. But there isn't as a creative and mm. as a performer, like you know that when you're ready, you'll be able to, devote your energy to that. You know, the, the other thing is like, you started acting, you did Broadway, you did a bunch of TV stuff. Mm. Um, so when you see like, I don't know, like when you see Timothy Chalamet in Dune, do you think right. like, hey man, if I had like not taken this detour, maybe that's me? Like, do you harbor those sorts of thoughts at all? The or are sw- you just like, I'm cool, man. Like the I'm swimming so happy. De- the swimming detour? Yeah, or, like yeah. are you just, are you grounded and just that convicted in what you're doing right now that that doesn't, th- those kinds of thoughts are not part of? I have, I have moments. Yeah. I have moments. You're like, that guy? <laughs> yeah. That guy's doing that? Come on. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I could have done that better than that. Yeah. <laughs> I have, Be I don't honest. know about better than him, but yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I have moments for sure. They're, they're short, they're fleeting moments, mm-hmm. but, but they're there. And sometimes you go, but I think no matter what decision you make, you're gonna you're gonna wonder what the other one would have been like. Um, but I also know that I have time, yeah. And that's 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 what gives me comfort is that I, I've got time to to. You're doing this thing. It's go like back when Jodie Foster went to college, you know, Yale or Natalie Port. You know, it's like this is your version of that. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. And I know that I know that. Say even if I stop swimming next year, like I'll, I'll be 27 and <laughs> I can I can you know look at. Or, or or plan on whatever it is I want to sort of start pursuing from then. It's it's going to be, I think it'll just be music. I, I that's sort of my primary interest in mm-hmm. post swimming life is 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 being a musician and touring and and right. making records and stuff. And that's yeah. that's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, I said this to you at breakfast the other day. Like I have a special place in my heart for. You know, high performers in general, we can all learn from people who are excelling uh, in their in their respective disciplines. But there's something really cool and unique about people who find a way to um, achieve legend status in a multiplicity of of kind of specialties. And I was sharing with you how I had Leslie Patterson on the podcast the other day, who yeah. is the Oscar nominated screenwriter for All Quiet on the Western Front, and the untold story. I mean, it's there's articles about it, but I think it's underappreciated is the fact that she's a five-time world champion in off-road triathlon, like won three Xterra world championships. And yeah. she used her prize money to keep the option alive on this project. I had no took idea. a decade, yeah. you know, to get to the screen. And I think that that's super interesting because in my generation, like I'm your parents' age, yeah. I grew up in a time where, you kind of had to pick like, are you gonna be an artist? Are you gonna be a creative type? Or are you gonna be an athlete? And like never the twain do those two things meet. And I was talking to my daughter who's 19 the other day and sharing with her about Leslie and how I was gonna talk to you. And she's an artist and she's a painter and sculptor. And she's like, dad, it's not like that anymore. Is that true? Do you think there's a permissiveness around 
that in a way that might have been different when I was growing up? I think that boundaries have sort of slowly been disintegrating in a way. Like, it, and I think that's due to people doing things that I think otherwise or previously weren't considered possible or, you know, um, too much to do or excel at in one lifetime, right? Like mm -hmm. I think, um, and that's sort of when I was jumping back in the pool was sort of one of my, not motivations, but but something that that I found interesting that I could possibly inspire people to sort of let go of those mental constructs mm -hmm. of like, if I'm this, I have to only be this and only this forever. Mm -hmm. um, and it was fun challenging that in my own life. And then also it has been fun challenging that in my own life, you know, about just, just, just seeing what's possible. That's what all this has sort of been about for me is just seeing what's possible. Mm -hmm. And, and then also hopefully it, um, inspiring other people or at least challenging their ideas about what's possible too, you know? Were you very conscious of that when you made that decision or is that something that kind of percolated up in the process of, of you getting back in the pool and exploring that? It, I think it happened in the process. I think that me getting back in the pool was just that I felt like I couldn't stay away from it anymore and had this burning desire to do mm -hmm. it. Um, and just like the whole thing was about the what ifs were gonna be too much for me in the future to, to not have a crack and, 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 and to live with those regrets or, or what ifs of not having tried. Um, and, then, and then when I started and things sort of started to, to develop and, and, and progress, I realized I sort of became a little bit more self-aware about what I was actually doing and when I started to realize that I didn't have anyone to look to, to or a blueprint to follow about how it was, how it should be done, realizing that no one in swimming had really ever done that before. Um, you know, people had sort of won or made the Olympics and then like won again 10 years later mm -hmm. after having a bunch of time out, like, you know, an Anthony Irvin or right. these guys that have these super interesting stories, but they kind of, stopped at a super high level or at the top and then kind of like mm -hmm. took a bunch of years off and then came back, got back to the top. Um, whereas I don't think anyone sort of stopped young at like an age group level and then decides 10 years later to, to try and uh, make that elite level. Yeah, there's, there's no blueprint, there's no precedent. Nobody has ever done that before. Uh, I remember when Pablo Morales jumped back into the pool. Like he's my mate, he's my yeah. buddy. I went to law school with him. Uh, we swam together at Stanford. He was two years older than me. Um, he's an OG man. He, he Watching was, him with no cap and goggles, like. I know, no goggles, no cap, <laughs> you know, old school, yeah. almost like Mark Spitz, you know, style. Yeah. Winningest uh, NC2A swimmer ever. Uh, was sort of anointed to be this extraordinary Olympic champion. And I think he kind of overtrained. Um, that mm. was at 88, was it Seoul? Where he, he didn't, shockingly, he didn't make the team. Right. Even though going yeah. into that Olympic trials, he was favored to just, you know, take everything. Yeah. And hung it up, went to law school. We finished law school together. We studied for the bar together. And then he got, he got back into the pool and then did what he did at the following Olympics and shocked everyone. And that was at yeah. the time, like super radical. And thinking back, like how old was he? He wasn't that old. It would have only been what, early 20s still? Yeah, I think maybe, maybe, maybe 20, 
nine, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, Which was, was old then. Super old, swimming. super old, People because there was no money in the then. sport at that yeah. time. And so when you finished college, when you were 21, that was it. Yeah. Nobody progressed beyond that. Now it's very different. And to your point, yes, Anthony Irvin, there's a few others um, at the peak of their powers, took a break or stepped down yeah. and then made a comeback. But you stopped at 13. Yeah. <laughs> and you were very successful as a 13 year old, but it was unclear how far that was gonna go. Yeah. Right? It wasn't yeah. like you were on a Michael Phelps track, like you were winning state championships and you were probably like top in your age group, right? Yeah, what like, was it like? Yeah, and I suppose there's, there's a lot of, you know, countless swimmers that are good young and then you never hear of them again, right? right. Maybe good until they're 16 and then disappear mm -hmm. or, or whatever. I mean, I was, um, yeah, like I was winning sort of national age group titles there for a few years in a row, particularly in, in, in butterfly and freestyle events. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, but, but that, you know, that, and obviously that's an indicator of, I suppose, you know, some, some level of talent yeah. or feel for the water or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, it's not necessarily a guarantee, you know, you're going to grow up to, you know, make your national team or, mm -hmm. you know, go and compete at that level. So, um, I suppose coming back to it, like I, it's it's funny thinking back now to kind of like the 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 blind confidence that I had coming back into it when not really realizing I think that the mountain I was you know undertaking trying to climb um, and a lot of people you know was sort of met with a lot of are you sure so, you know even mm -hmm. from my own mom and who who swam for Australia and right. sort of understood like both your parents were what swimmers it took at yeah. a high level and I think she was sort of like. You know, you've got this, you've built this life for yourself in the last 10 years. You sure you just want to like put that all aside to go and stare at the black line for, for, you know, hours a day and put yourself through, through all that. Like it's, it's grueling. And, um, I didn't really have any reservations about it. Just, I just knew it was what I wanted to do. Mm. And I think it's important to point out for people that are watching or listening who don't have familiarity with the sport of swimming. Mm. Swimming is a sport that is just all about the grind and, um, it's very unusual for a swimmer to even take a couple months off. Yeah. To take a year off, are you kidding me? Like, it's not something that people come back from when yeah. they do that. Um, and it's also a sport where you spend just years and years and years developing those years between 13 and, and 20, whatever, right? Mm. Um, but nobody has really popped in I missed all 22. those foundations. Yeah, you missed that. Well, what's interesting about that is, yeah, so you didn't have any of that. You were still yeah. 13. Like usually the that's hardcore why I can't fly. <laughs> double workouts and all that kind of stuff starts around 14. Like that's when yeah. it starts to get hard. And yeah. so you skipped that part, but you were able to pop in it. So it was like 22, 23 yeah. when, you, when you got back in the water. 20, 22, I was starting to um, pop in every now and then a USC. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's I think right. when you were talking about Connor. And Dave Salo. Dave, with Dave Salo. But yeah. again, it was very much, it wasn't, it wasn't, I hadn't decided to come back yet. I was sort of like, I like to swim, you know, I'll just jump on the side here and, yeah. you know, see how it feels. And I hadn't swum at that point and probably, I hadn't probably swum more than a couple hundred meters in like nine years or something, eight <laughs> years. <laughs> um, and so I started to do that then with them, you know, when I was in town and I was still traveling a fair bit for work and then uh, COVID happened mm -hmm. and I- No touring. No touring, 
know nothing, um, had already had already been simmering on this idea for quite a while, probably probably since Rio, to be honest, because I went down to Rio and watched friends of mine that I grew up competing with, competing in the Olympics and succeeding and doing all this. And it kind of, I saw my old coach down there and we had like this small little chat about it, about the mm. idea of it that just sort of sat with me and sparked something that simmered for, for years until I couldn't take it anymore and had to start to right. change not, my life. It's not even <laughs> like unfinished business. It's like business you haven't even begun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Didn't you also perform for the Queen at Buckingham Palace at the Commonwealth Games? The, yeah, the, the, mo- yeah. The, the, the most recent Commonwealth Games, right? It and was for- You had to be there and see all the athletes and there was something about that as well. Yeah, it was the 2018 Commonwealth Games um, torch lighting. Like the uh-huh. relay. Um, and the 2018 Games were on the Gold Coast here where we are, which is where I grew up. And I think because of that, they- Uh, Being from the Gold Coast, they had me go over and perform mm -hmm. and sung like I Still Call Australia Home and did all that in in the grounds of the Buckingham Palace and got to meet the Queen and and do all that. And I think, and then then four years later, I was competing in the next one as a swimmer. (laughs) And at that time in 2018 was, yeah, hadn't hadn't even really considered the idea of of swimming Mm -hmm. um, or or, or really jumping back into it. So it's kind of wild when I was getting up on the blocks Four years later, right? Um, having known four years ago, I was doing what I was doing. That's, yeah, that's so wild. Yeah. But there must have been this sense when you're performing there as a singer songwriter, thinking, "Yeah, but I'm an athlete too. Like nobody's seeing me as an athlete." Yeah, and no one knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one knows that I can do this and that. Yeah, uh-huh. and that—that that was. I think that was a little bit part of it too. It was almost like a, a thirst to prove myself, knowing that it's almost like you. You can say you can do all this and that as, as much as you want. You can say, oh yeah, I could have been this or I could, you know, mm-hmm. people people do that all the time. But I I really wanted to, I think, prove to myself and to others that I, 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 I just wanted you to were, see. You were for real about yeah, it. Yeah, that I was yeah. for real about yeah. it. Because I think people, I yeah. knew people were kind of like, yeah, but. Right, well, even Dave Salo, didn't he say like, yeah, he told, didn't he tell Brett Hawk like, yeah, this isn't gonna work out. Yeah, yeah, Dave Salo <laughs> told him. Yeah. Um, David Marsh told him that, uh-huh. which, oh, Marsh. which yeah, um, Marsh. yeah. And these guys are like, for people yeah. who don't know, like these are the legend coaches in mm. the sport, at least in the States. And David sort of since, David Marsh sort of has since, had since said, or at least he even, even a couple months after yeah. that, he sort of said, no, you, 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 this is the second time in my life I've been proved wrong or that my, my judgment wasn't correct or, and I don't think it's that he thought that. I'm not sure. It was like he'd said it was way back, um, uh-huh. but he but he said um, I think it was maybe about a swimmer that he didn't think would succeed in NC2As or something. It mm-hmm. ended up being quite good, and um, 
like Bro, Caesar Cielo I remember Brett, somebody. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Brett took me down. This was still very early. I'd only been swimming for a couple of months. Took me down to do some sort of technical stuff with David Marsh down in San Diego. And I think um, it was more that David, I think, had just said to Brett, um, are you sure this, you know, I think he should just stick to what he's mm-hmm. doing. Like, is he, uh, you know, too, he's had too much time out. This ship's kind of sailed, you know. Yeah. It would, it's going to take, it's not going to be possible to get to, you know, where I guess this kid wants to go. Right. <laughs> um, and in fairness, the first time you jumped into a meet, you swam like a 51 hundred yard fly, right? Yeah. That yeah. was, and that was like before I trained or anything. It was sort of like when I was doing those little, one-off sessions mm. at USC and they sort of said, well, there's this little meet invitational um, coming up. And I, I, at that time was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll get in and have a go. And I was, I was so unfit yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, swam horribly like. Yeah, 51, um, I mean, 51 would be, you know, good at a master's meet, but yeah, that's not yeah, getting yeah. you anywhere. No, not the as like, level not as like a 22 yeah. or 23 year old. and. Um, and so that was that was months prior to to COVID and all that when I it was sort of like the first time I'd raced or done anything of the sort in mm-hmm. a long time. Um, it was almost just a bit of fun at that point. But uh, I remember sitting sitting with Dave Salo actually going, "I want to go fifty one in the hundred long course meter fly," and mm-hmm. he kind of just yeah, I could see him smirking, going, <laughs> "Yeah, you understand what that takes, you know?" Uh-huh. And um, last year I did it, so, right? Yeah. It's just yeah. like wild to to think back. Actually, sitting here with you, you don't. I don't often do that retrospect. It's important reflection. to reflect back on that. Yeah. I mean, I think you know it. It all happened pretty quickly. Also, not without its lumps. Mm-hmm. Um, and fifty-one long course is like fifty-one zero, right? Or fifty-one one. One seven. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's but. fucking legit, dude. Like, <laughs> and what's exciting is that to the earlier point of you in this unprecedented way, jumping into the pool at a later age, you and having missed that decade of the grind, yeah. most of the swimmers at the highest level who all of them endured that decade of grind are now trying to hang on like and stay enthusiastic about something that's just so hard to maintain long-term yeah. because you have to live this monastic lifestyle. And you know when you're 24 or whatever, you pretty much know you're gonna have some gains, you put in the extra effort, there's always improvement to be had, but you're not really gonna get a massive performance leap. Like you pretty much mm. know kind of where you are in the pecking order, but for you, there are no rules. Like yeah, the potential yeah. is, you know, the sky's the limit in terms of like what you're now capable of. And I know you're coming off a huge block this past year and you're about to, you know, compete and you're at the beginning of your taper. Yeah. And that's gotta be, way more exciting for somebody like you than even for Emma, your girlfriend, who's been in it for a long time. Like they, they have a pretty good idea of probably where they're gonna end up. And, and, mm. and for you, I think that's just totally unwritten. It's, it's one of the mental advantages that I think I have um, is that there's so much unknown still for me in the sport. And that sort of just keeps me going. Cause I go, I just don't know mm-hmm. where, where I can get to. You know, maybe I've saw my fastest swims, I don't know if I have, you know, that is what it is, right? But you like, did, yeah. you, you, you fulfilled that commitment that you made to but yourself. But I made to that try. to myself yeah. and, and I, I, you know, wanted to represent Australia and I wanted to get that, you know, we, we call it um, our dolphin number, which is basically the Australian swim team are called the dolphins and everyone that 
gets selected to compete gets a number. And so there's been, I'm number 838. So there's been 838 swimmers compete for Australia in the history of, mm. I think it's been since uh, 1901 or something like that. Um, and so that's something really sort of monumental and special for an Australian swimmer to get their number. And I got that last year when I went to the Com Games and my mum had one. And so just sort of be able to have that together. And um, that's something that having those little things is sort of makes me feel like no matter what happens in the future, like I've sort of have these things to show for mm-hmm. what, I, what I've sort of committed to and what I wanted to prove to myself, which in a way I've done part of that already. I still feel like I have a lot more I wanna do, but I'm really glad that I've been able to sort of uncover that or at least right. at least prove to myself that I could kind of do what I suspected I might be able to mm. with the right with the right work and stimulus and stuff. I wanna dig a little bit more into that in a minute, but here we are, uh, spring 2023. Um, what's the big meet? I mean, by the time this goes up, that meet will have passed, yeah, but talk yeah. about like kind of where you're at now and how you're thinking about next year and Paris and the Olympics. Yeah, well, I guess I'm almost three years into a four year journey mm-hmm. <laughs> that, I, that I embarked on. I, I, I started having only the plan to swim for four years. Um, anything beyond that is still still unknown to me. I don't know what what I want to do or how I feel after Paris, either the you know the trials or the Olympics or whatever. Like, kind of depends on how I go and mm-hmm. and how I feel then. Um, yeah, but the whole plan is to be ready for 2024. So everything I'm doing is sort of with that in sight. Uh, there's a our trials coming up in a few weeks for the world championships this year, um, so that's sort of the next major team to qualify for in the between now and 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 the Olympics. Um, so do my best to get on that one, mm-hmm. and uh, everything else is kind of leading up to about. Right, 13, 14 months. So this is still like a build year. Next year is the real year where, you know, the rubber meets the road. Pretty much. And the super grind starts, Um, but you've already made a Commonwealth team. You defied expectations. You got, so for people that don't know, in order to go to the Olympics, you have to get first or second at your trials. Yep. Yep. Um, Third place. And under our um, qualifying time. So if you're second and you you don't know the time, you're probably probably Uh, not going. Right. Yeah, that's not going to be a factor, though. Um, but but often for at least for the the strokes, the hundred meter strokes, they they usually want to take two per per event for the the relays mm-hmm. and and there's a lot of relays now with the mixed the mixed uh, men's and women's relays and all right. that. So they want, I think they want two. You know, they'll want two men for hundred fly, two men for hundred breast, et cetera. Right. So even if you get Third, there's still a chance you could end up on a relay or as nah. an alternate. No, third's, third, third's third, and you're out. Yeah, okay. I just didn't know going. if it was the same. Even if you're under the, the even if you're under the qualifying time, which yeah. the Australian qualifying times are um, significantly faster than the FINA A cut times. Mm-hmm. The Australian qualifying times they they um, figure out based on what made last year's final at Worlds. So like the eighth eighth uh, eighth time. So basically they're picking they're only taking you if they feel like you can make sort of the international right. final right. or whatever, which is, you know, it's probably aside from, I suppose the USA, it's probably the hardest swimming team in the world to, mm-hmm. to get on. Yeah, that's a debate. Yeah. We can have. <laughs> the Aussie versus <laughs> Aussie US. versus US, that'll yeah, always legendary, be. Legendary, uh, yeah, rivals. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you got, so you're kind of sitting in this third 
place position. You got third at your trials yeah. last year. You almost went to the world championships though, because there was something about somebody was gonna not participate in that event, but then he changed his mind. Yeah, he ended so up So you ended up on it. the Commonwealth team yeah. where you got yeah. fifth, yeah. but you're in the mix, I guess is the point that I'm making, but there's yeah. no guarantees either either way. There's no, a lot I'm of fast sort of guys. On the precipice yeah. of, or the cusp of, of qualification for at least from for my events um probably sitting sitting right on the cusp of them so mm -hmm. it's there's definitely no guarantees and yeah. do you feel that uh that you have a leg up in terms of how you manage stress and pressure because of the things that you've done as an entertainer where you've put yourself in kind of High stress situations, yeah, uh, and yeah. and you have like a little bit of experience uh, that 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 maybe you know allows you to handle that stuff with more calm and grace. Probably, yeah. I, yeah, I tend I tend to find I I can and do thrive in high pressure pressure situations. Um, having, as you say, the having done many different kinds of things that, and, and been in many different kinds of, I suppose, high pressure situations, or at least doing things with a lot of eyeballs on you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Being up on stage. Being up doing on stage that. in front of a lot of people, being in, on TV shows and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've found Broadway. that coming back, into, coming back into the sport, like I wasn't, I was, uh, part of me had that, that, um, at that fear and nerve based around just being new and not having the experience and the race race experience and confidence knowing that when I did get up on the blocks, like people would be watching. Mm -hmm. um, even at like local meets and stuff, when I first came back, I just always felt like the right. eyeballs on me and stuff. Now it's, I think I've been here long enough where it's a little less, um, I feel like a little less scrutinized, but uh was definitely prepared for that just through the mm -hmm. life experience that I've had. Vice mm -hmm. versa, do you feel that your career as a young swimmer when you were 13 and having to be in a high stress situation, even as a young person yeah. helped you when you started getting up on stages? Cause I feel like I'm here, I gave this speech the other day yeah. and I had to do it in front of a lot of people. And even though it's been many years since I was a swimmer, like it is, it, it does, it felt like finals, it felt like, you know, you get up, you, you're a little nervous, but it's that excitement. I know what this is like. I want to perform well, et cetera. Like, yeah. there's a lot of overlap, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that. Oh, it taught me a ton as as a kid. Even just yeah, carrying that into my life as an artist and a musician beyond my swing as a young kid was prepared me for. Well, one taught me the the correlation between sort of the what you put in is what you get out sort of mindset, the work mm -hmm. equals success or work equal, at least equals improvement. <laughs> but it's something. different in, a, in the creative um, arts. You can't, you can't grind a song out. Like no, you, you, no. it's not like doing no. a hard set. Like you gotta be in a place of allowing and almost surrender, right? Yeah. To like let that come in, which is antithetical to the mindset of the swimmer. Who's like, if I push hard, I know I will have these gains. Yeah, yeah. I find that there's, I find that there are similarities though, at least at least from my experience, um, trying to improve as a guitarist or trying to improve as a vocalist to say, go the on- The technical stuff. To go on, um, yeah. to do theater, right? Like to do things like that. Um, things where the reps pay off. Yeah, like 
where you sort of push, push, push for for a period of time so that you can let it sort of happen when it's supposed to happen so that the 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 second nature thing right. can, can happen like right when you're when you're when you're racing at your peak you're not using your brain yeah because exactly. you rehearsed it so, so you can times. you can think 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 so that you can not think when you right. when you don't have to and i think that's the same thing for at least for performing or or playing a a, a song say it's something difficult that you've been wanting to learn um i was i i've I don't know if I, I said this at one point, if someone else did, if I heard it, but I, I like the idea that slow, like a slow growth stage will lead to a quick burst of blossom at, at the time mm. that you, many slow growth stages will lead yeah. to a quick burst of blossom. And um, I've found that that's very true for swimming. <laughs> I think yeah. when you get that breakthrough, um, you touch the wall, look at the time and you you get that, you know, when you have that breakthrough, that time drop, you, it's like a euphoric feeling. Right, you know, but you this. know the work that you put in to get yeah, to that place. And, and that's, I think that's what makes it so beautiful is, is what you put in mm-hmm. and, and, and sort of grinding through that time to get that, to get that feeling and that reward. Yeah. yeah. The one thing you got to figure out though, dude, you got to figure out how to go faster at finals. I know. I, I know. noticed like you, you, that's that's a little bit of a struggle for you. That's a, it's funny you say that. Actually, you, <laughs> yeah. you've done your research. You're good. You're good at Damn. prelims, dude. But you got to be ready that's, for the big show. Yeah, and that's something that's funny. My coach tells me that all the time, and that's something I'm working on. Is I'm good when I'm relaxed. Like I'll get up in the heat and go, okay, I can at least at least nationally, like I know I can get up and go eight out of ten and make mm-hmm. the the final. Um, and often that swim will be faster than the one where I'm getting in and just trying to tear it, right? You know, and it's funny swimming in that way as that counterintuitive, where it's more effort doesn't always mean faster, right? I mean, that's that's a really important perspective, but so, I, I I would feel that you would be somebody who would understand that better because I'm sure when you're performing music in front of a lot of people it's gonna be better when you're relaxed. Yeah, yeah. If you're trying to force it or you're tensed up, it's gonna be a good. stiff performance, yeah. right? Yeah, and that's, I think that's just something I'm learning with experience, at least in the pool, realizing mm-hmm. that it, it is that way. Um, but uh, I think it's gonna come with with more, you know, I'm, I'm getting up having swum say, I don't know how many hundreds fly I've done in a race environment, maybe, 40 or 50, I'm not, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, getting up against guys who've done hundreds of them. Yeah. I'm just sort of trying to get more of that under my belt <laughs> so I can. But yeah, that is something I'm working on. But the mindset has to be, these guys don't know. Like you're the question mark, yeah. you know? And that that's like a superpower. Yeah, yeah, Cause yeah. Because you, you pretty much know what these other guys are gonna, you know, the range that they're gonna be in, but all bets are off when you get up on the blocks. Yeah, yeah. Because it's all so new. Absolutely, and I think that's the way it was coming into last year. Like my my time, at least coming into the the trials last year, was really not not anywhere near like you. You dropped from like a fifty four to a fifty one, right? In in about a year, um, was it? Yeah, in about in about eighteen months, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I mean, that's like in a hundred meter. I mean, that's like an astonishing, you know, improvement mm. for that period of time. But I think going into last year trials was like two fifty two eight or something was mm-hmm. as quick as I'd been, and I, you know, I knew I'd have to go fifty one again on the team. And when I did that in the heat, I kind of showed yeah. myself I was ready to go there. But this year I have to make an uh, even bigger drop. So, 
What was that like dropping back in, moving back here, getting back into swimming with, you know, jumping into the pool with an elite squad of guys and gals? Mm. Did they welcome you back or was there a lot of sort of suspicion? Like, what are you playing at? Like, come on, man. I think there was some of that. And some of, some of the people who I'm now friends with sort of, you know, said that they just naturally had those thoughts. I mm-hmm. think when I first came back, just they didn't know me. They didn't, you know, know what, really what I was doing, what my plan was. Um, so I think some people kind of, at least, at least a lot of people in the public eye and stuff, you know, thought it was like a, some kind of publicity stunt or something. Yeah. yeah. This is for this is for the gram. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like swimming. This is not worth it for the gram. Like it takes way too much. You know, well, that's the time. thing. It's I not mean, like you can just like pull it together in a couple yeah, of days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember like, but I, I was fr- welcomed. I was. Yeah, I was. Ultimate, overall, well, now you, you swam at 51, so it's legit. But mm. at first, I would imagine there was a little bit of a acclimation period. Yeah. yeah. When I first came back, like I, I'd, I'd obviously dropped. I'd obviously gotten to a decent level in a short period of time, but it's not necessarily enough to like have people say like, mm-hmm. you belong here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 This is different than just, uh, you know, photos of you on Instagram with your shirt off. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. in fairness, like when I first got introduced to you and I, I was like checking, I was like, I don't know, man, I don't know about this. Like, <laughs> like when I look at your social media or like mm-hmm. if, if if someone is to Google you, it's just rife with a bunch of paparazzi bullshit. You yeah. dated like, you know, some well-known women and yeah. it's really kind of all about that. And it's easy to project or have a judgment about who you are or what's important to you based upon that. Mm. Um, and then when I met you and had breakfast with you the other day, I was like, oh, this is nothing like, like this guy in reality is nothing like I imagine based upon that kind of public persona or image, like you're yeah. very grounded, you know, conscious, kind, pretty chilled out dude, Thanks. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> you, you know? Um, so it's not surprising that you would get, yeah. you know, some of that. Is it from your experience that a lot of people that at least have been through that aren't that way or? Well, because I think, you and I, I think both probably know a lot of people who have, sure. have sort of had yeah, yeah, yeah. shrouded in that, yeah, yeah, in yeah. that world or that. I mean, I think I'm in a unique position to talk to you because mm. I live in Los Angeles and I know a lot of the people that you've worked with. Mm. Uh, you know, I understand that culture. Um, but I also have the swimming background. Like, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I can like, I have direct experience with both of those worlds. And I would say that in general, and this is no mystery, like somebody who experiences that level of fame and attention at a young age, uh, they don't, you know, that that has a tendency to really impair your value system. Yeah. And it's intoxicating. And now that you say that, honestly, like a lot of the people that I, that I or at least a few of the people that I do know, or have have been um, introduced to that that had that uh, do have a sort of warped yeah perspective. And I think, in fairness, from my and correct me if I'm wrong, but you look like somebody who flirted with that. You know, it could have gone the other way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you <laughs> my were, parents will tell you. You were like, I mean, you were living a pretty fast lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. And and to I reckon late teens, even even early twenties, I was there were moments I was caught up. Like I didn't know which way it was going. I mm-hmm. think my, and my parents sort of worst nightmares of like, you know, young sort of pop star kid, right. like going off the rails. It was like coming true for them. Yeah, a I mean, bit. it comes true for most people in your um, situation. It's the rare individual that that avoids Fortunately. That. For every Justin Timberlake, to, there's, you know, a hundred 
other, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. heroin addicts. Yeah, you look at guys like, I mean, Aaron Carter comes to mind. Sure. Um, so there's just so many horror stories in that sense, and that was, I was just fortunate to to. I, I think I owe a lot of it to my family, to my parents, you know, cause I was at least still close enough to them where I really cared what they thought. And when they, when they expressed that, they felt like I was mm-hmm. losing touch a little bit. They'd bring me back to earth. Yeah. So maybe paint like a, a picture of that moment. You're going to clubs, you're mm. dating women that are, you know, very well known. <laughs> you're in, you have paparazzi following you around. You're getting, there's a lot of stuff going on, man. A lot of temptation, it's Hollywood. Yeah. You just have access to it, to, mm. to way more than you should at that age and way more than, and you're than like, this is other thir- kids. This is like, you're, you're like 19, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. Younger, you know, 17, 18, mm. start to be able to, you know, and, and um, I was probably 16 when I started going out <laughs> there. Um, so you just, you know, all of a sudden that age seeing- Doors are seeing, swinging open. It's, um, it can, as you say, be intoxicating. How um, did you kind of avoid the, the, the like drugs aspect of the whole thing? Um, I didn't. You didn't, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's not something I talk about much, but like, it's, you know, definitely present for, and for, for years it was, something that is just a part of being there. Everyone's doing it. You're mm-hmm. going out. It's fun for at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it, gets, when it gets too much and you see it start to sort of uh, affect your personal life or affect your career. Like I was still actively working and doing all that stuff the whole time. I was mm-hmm. still playing music, still doing gigs, doing all this stuff. I mean, I was, changing i definitely had a lot of creative and musical change from being sort of a young pop artist to wanting to be a sort of more of a a singer songwriter or play different at least become a musician i was sort of like i was very conscious of it throughout that time like wanting to set myself up as a musician and and you know i wasn't lost that stuff wasn't lost on me i sort of never really disregarded my career or anything like that but you get caught up for sure Mm -hmm. um and it's a you know what I was sort of doing then was, and the lifestyle I was living then even five years ago, you know as a twenty one year old is a it's a far cry from where I'm at now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going yeah. I'm going to going to I'm waking up when I was going to sleep. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's almost like uh, you've already had a midlife crisis. Yeah. At at 20 or whatever, you know, in the biopic of your life, like I'm that the was opening the midlife scene crisis, is you yeah. like waking up in some weird house after a, you know, yeah. a banger of a party and, and thinking, man, I, I know where this is heading and I have this other thing. Almost like returning to swimming was almost a defense mechanism to save your life. Is that an extreme, that maybe I'm- I just got goosebumps because I was, about to, ta- I was yeah. about to say that in a different way. Yeah, so, like, so explain that. Um, w- swimming was like the sobering thought within the haze of the, the life I was living um, and was the thing that pulled me out of, even, even sometimes like in moments, like when you're out, I'm going, it's one or 2 a.m., everyone's still going. I, have, I, 
I remember that I want to do this thing in the future. So I can't like trash my body like this anymore. Mm. I have to like start, I have to start pulling myself away from these scenarios and this lifestyle. And I remember there were, there were many nights sort of before I really put my foot down on my, on myself, um, that, that I would have those moments. Mm. Like, and I think if I didn't have swimming or, or I didn't have the, the, desire to do that again. Like I wouldn't have had anything holding me back from just sinking, right? you know, just going full force into, into that, that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Because there would be nothing else that I would have had, nothing else I would have known. Um, so yeah, in a way, as you say, I think it did save my life. God, I don't know wow. where, what would have happened or where I would have gone beyond that. Um, it was the only thing that, that I think, aside from my family, like drew me out of it, yeah. yeah. And I'm so glad it did because like now, and I'm sure you you can relate to this, obviously probably not to the sort of extreme perhaps that, that your, where your journey took you, but now I just am as so much more consistently happy on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the highs, the highs aren't as high and maybe the yeah. lows aren't as low, but like I would take this over that any day, I think. And I think even in the future going back into music, like I'd be very cautious about, how I did it and 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 for what reasons. You know, I'd I'd probably want to stay based here. I'd go maybe go go back and forth to the States, but I don't know if I think I'd probably want to base myself in Australia and yeah. just do things on my own terms and and live a healthy a healthy life mm-hmm. and have a healthy approach to being an artist as opposed to the kind of destructive artist approach. Yeah, the trope, the cliche. Yeah. yeah you know what I mean? Yeah. And and you know, but when you're in it, like, yeah, like short of swimming, it is so, it's gotta be so exciting. Doors are swinging open, you're meeting all these people you never thought you would meet. You're, yeah. you know, like you just have this sort of access and and to say, you know what, I'm, I did that. I don't feel like myself. It's it's one thing for a, like, even if a normal person, like a, I don't know, like a, you call them sparkies here, like a sparky, right? Like an electrician <laughs> yeah, okay. who's like, you know yeah. what? Like I was good when I was 13, I'm gonna pop in again. Or you're yeah. somebody who's just living a normal life with a normal job and maybe is a little unfulfilled and thinks, you know what? I'm gonna see if I have some more athletic potential inside of me. Mm. That would be an extraordinary story, but the level of, of conviction and discipline that would be required to step away from that super like, yeah, the peaks are so high, right? Yeah. And say, I'm not only am I gonna walk away from that, at least temporarily, like I'm gonna go do this other thing that means I'm gonna be exhausted all the time. I'm gonna be staring at this black line. There's no guarantees of anything. This is certainly not like a strategic career move to, you know, no. to, to like make money or any, you know, like it's, there's a level of insanity to the whole thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. And I even like, I wasn't, coming back into it, like even financially, like I wasn't really set up coming back into swimming. Like I'd kind of, I'd had a few like lean years and was was kind of in a place where I, it wasn't like sort of like, I'd, I'd probably made some bad financial decisions and had some poor management on that side of things. And, and, you know, so it wasn't, that wasn't, it wasn't like I was going into it going, I've got all this cash mm. and I'm gonna, Right, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm sure people I'm, believe th- people think, think that that's that. the case. Like, yeah. oh, you're you're with this person and you have this and but that, it, that, so that you must be living in a mansion and you know yeah. have a private driver and like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but for me, like the reality for me at that in in that moment, just based on 
the way things had gone and just, I think, miseducation young about, about money and, um, and just have poor, poor sort of financial management and things for a few years. Like I'd, I, got, I was in a place where I wasn't sort of like, yeah, if I go and swim, I'm f- f- can for sure support myself for right. the next just four to six years and royalties whatever, and- right? Like it was sort mm-hmm. of like, um, I was sort of going into it. I didn't have that kind of security necessarily going into it. And, um, and it's, it's funny because yeah, people would sort of think, well, if you go and do that, you, you, it's funny the way it's worked out because it's swimming, coming back into swimming has sort of had actually almost opened up more opportunities for me outside of swimming. (laughs) Um, partially just because I think people thought it was interesting and wanted to be part of it. Um, and, but, but, go, but beginning that, like I, I didn't know or think that I'd be able to make any money through yeah. it, at least for years. Yeah. Um, you know, I just thought I'd be sort of staring at the black line by myself and right. have no one care about it or just <laughs> think I was nuts for at yeah. least, I was prepared for that to be the reality for at least like, you know, two to three years mm-hmm. before. I also didn't think I'd, I'd, I'd progress as quickly as I did too. Mm-hmm. I so like, you're surprised that- I was prepared for like, to be, I was prepared to be shit for like at least two years uh-huh. before like I was anywhere near- But the I willingness to, to make that deal, like that's yeah. super interesting. This idea of being out of alignment with like your higher, better self or this vision or this sense of like who you are and how you wanted to like show up in the world mm. being tweaked and, you know, kind of upside down while you're in Los Angeles. Yeah. And having enough self-awareness, conviction and courage to correct that and mm. now be in this place where you like who you are, you feel good about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I think is, something that everybody on some level can relate to. Like, I think that there is a more self-actualized, authentic version of ourselves within all of us. Yeah. And every day we're, you know, we're, we're kind of subconsciously wondering how in alignment we are with that person that we wish we were or whatever, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that never ends until we die. Uh, I've certainly gone through, you know, my version of that and yeah. I'm not perfect in that regard, but, to have that kind of awareness as a young person and to correct that, I think is exemplary and also puts you in a position to speak to like that subject in general. Like, are we really thinking about what we're doing? Like, what is our intention and how do our actions line up with like the aspirational version of ourselves, or what is that dormant dream within all of us that maybe we're ignoring or repressing? Yeah, because life is fucking hard, and we're busy, and like just trying to put food on the table is you know big enough challenge for for most people. It's it's so e- and it, yeah, it's so easy to get stuck in. And I'm not saying everyone should just go and quit their jobs and right. like yeah. become a movie director or whatever, but like, um, it's so easy to to totally ignore it in the in the quest for a steady salary or mm-hmm. you know this or that um but when you ignore think, it you get these little knocks yeah hey buddy yeah how you doing in there yeah <laughs> you, know? you good remember me i'm over here like i'm still here <laughs> yeah. if you want to have a chat and it's know? often that it's often <laughs> like the kid in you right like the child sure, in you, exactly. the one that that it's that the childlike follows yeah. instincts and follows impulses mm-hmm. and 
and and and listens to himself. Um, rediscovering that, I think, is important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's something beyond the mind and logic that is childlike and uncorrupted by the difficulties of life. Mm. That still kind of lives as this seedling inside of us. You yeah. know, it's a good way. Of um, and and I think. It you know, looking at your career and your life, the rear view is always 2020, right? Like when you look backwards, it all makes perfect sense. Yeah. And when I see yeah. your career and the kind of art that you were interested in, in cultivating and the way that you expressed yourself as an artist, the theme of swimming is like undeniable. Like it's all about water, mm. <laughs> you know, like even the Prince Neptune there. thing. It's like, it's all about like water and the ocean and, you know, your band was called The Tide. Like it's all like, of course, of course, this guy was going to find his way back to the pool. Yeah, it, it was, was a, a self fulfilling prophecy, kind right? of. Yeah, self fulfilling prophecy that that was. Yeah, as you say, a ticking clock. Like looking back on it now, it, it all makes sense. But there was a subconscious, mm-hmm. you know, this little subconscious murmur in there the whole time that was just drawing me back to where I I f- felt most at home or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but talking about that alignment with yourself, I. I now feel, I now truly sort of feel that way. And I think for a few years I didn't feel that way. And, I, and I, I'm so happy I followed it because I, I never thought I'd be able to just sort of sit around and say, I'm, I'm really, even in the midst of grueling training and doing all that stuff, mm-hmm. like I, it satisfies me. I can, I can sit down in my day and go, yeah, I'm, I'm at peace with myself and, and I'm as happy as I've ever been. And, and I feel like I'm on the path I'm supposed to be on. It's sure it took me a little while to to find it, but um, and I think now I just have learned things. Even if I stopped tomorrow and went back to to playing music full time, I feel like I'd be the kind of the kind of person I'd want to be mm-hmm. going back into playing music full time. I think I'd have the right approach, and I think swimming teaches has taught me that yeah. already. Yeah, that's cool. I think that that's that's sort of the new cool way to be a performer. Also, like, yeah, you like know, an athlete artist. Right? Well, like yeah, to, it was like we were talking before the podcast, and I was going a bit asking early, you if you knew Mike Posner. Like he's sort of on a similar thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey man, I did that other thing. Like you know, I took yeah. a pill in Ibiza. Like I know that <laughs> I know that story. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to live that way anymore. And now I want to walk across America and climb Everest and take people on adventures. And yes, I'm still cranking out songs, and my songs fucking rule. Yeah, but yeah. I don't have to be that cliche of what you think a performer's life looks like. Mm. Yeah, I. That's why I admire Jack Johnson so much mm. as well. Um, and why even when I was in LA, I was like, why aren't I doing this the way Jack does it? <laughs> you know, he's, yeah. he, he- Or Donovan Frankenreiter. Or Donovan, yeah, who yeah, I've had the chance to- yeah, 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 yeah. I've met him Had the chance to, to play with and, mm-hmm. and, and chat to, and um, the guys have sort of just forged their own path outside of, like, I don't know if, I, I don't know if Jack's been to the Grammys uh, mm, from memory, like he's never there. Like, and, and whether that is by choice, I don't know, um, but- Have you met him? Jack, I've met a couple times only briefly, um, but just watching the way he does his thing, um, he's just—I'm sure he had so many opportunities to 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 go other directions, and he's always just stayed 
yeah. on his I own. I live in Hawaii. I like to path. surf. And, you know, mm. sure, his you know he had he was a professional surfer and he has his an, an accident that sort of redirected him into, I suppose, creative, you know, more creative path, which has obviously worked out the way it has for him and, mm-hmm. and for the benefit of all of us who like his music. Um, but I, I just admire guys like that and 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 feel like now I have the the sort of confidence and 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 self. I have the internal compass to, to hopefully keep that, yeah. keep that head. Like as when I that's, do go back to so it. that's what a valuable lesson mm. to learn as a young person. Like mm. maybe you had to have those peak experiences to grapple with that and come to terms with it, but to yeah. be able to have clarity on that at your age creates a foundation for your success and your happiness as you move forward. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I've, I feel so grateful for that because I know it just as easily could have happened when I was 45 instead of 25. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, it's- I Or feel, never. Or never, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that it has happened now. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I'll have more of them in the future. Like I might, yeah. I don't know what kind of cycles I'll go through as I get older and what more I'll learn, but I feel like I've, I've been able to take a lot from my life experience so far. Right, which is good. <laughs> you reshared yeah. a you reshared a tweet the other day. Um, somebody had tweeted uh, like, "Hey, remember that kid Cody that sang songs? Like, this is what he looks like now, and he's going for the Olympics." And it's a picture of you with your cap and got, you're like, "Out of you're climbing out of the pool or something like that," and you're looking super jacked. <laughs> <laughs> and you reshared it, and you're like, What'd "Yeah, I that's say? what I'm doing." I don't I don't remember, but it was sort of like a funny thing. And I I was thinking about that um, because there's probably a lot of people out there who were fans of your music or maybe were at a time and then haven't thought about you. And yeah. then suddenly they see this and they're like, what the hell is this? Like, I see that on, yeah. especially on Twitter, I see that because I feel like, I don't know why Twitter community it's is that worst. way, but but I'll see that on Twitter a fair bit, whereas somebody that won't have, won't have seen or heard from me in, since, you know, from a moment, mm-hmm. say eight years ago or whatever. And, and they see that I'm now doing this and they kind of think it's, some kind of weird joke or something. Right, or it's just sort of a mind exploder, right? Like, yeah, cause it's yeah. so orthogonal to like people how can't. people think of you. Um, and I think the reason I bring that up is I think there can be a sense in the world publicly that all of this kind of happened with ease or, or overnight and, mm. and without a, an appropriate level of appreciation for the courage of making that kind of decision and the amount of work that you have to, um, put into it. And uh, I think what happens is that a narrative gets crafted that you're just, you're this unbelievably gifted person. It's all easy. You can just write these songs and then, and then you can just go over to the pool and these things happen and it makes you unrelatable. Like you're this outlier, like, right. like that's cool. And I can be inspired by that, but it's not aspirational because I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not like that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I was listening to your conversation with Brett Hawk and he was framing it um, in an interesting way um, to disabuse people of that idea and to instead suggest this idea that I love and that I believe in, which is that we all are sitting on top of mountains of untapped potential. And the differentiator mm. with you, of course you have talents that certain, we all have Everybody does levels that. of talents yeah. and different things. You recognize your talents, you put the work in to, to manifest them but Brett said that what people should understand is that you understand your potential 
and you know how to continually tap into that well and go back to it. It's a renewable resource as opposed to the person who maybe taps into it once and does something and says, well, yeah, but I'm out of gas now. Like that was my thing and now I'm right. done. Whereas you're like, no, it's there. It's always there. Like, how do you, how do you dip your toe into that current and, you know, continue to nourish yourself and, you know, with this understanding that uh, there's always more potential to be mined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tapping that source. <laughs> um, so how do you think about that consciously? Does that resonate with you or yeah, how does yeah. that land? And I think it's just, I think cultivating the resilience not to get discouraged by failure as well. I think there was a, there was a moment, my first, I wasn't, I wasn't, as you say, when you, when you think people think it happened overnight or, or whatever, like I wasn't, I was no good when I first got back in the pool. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like I just started popping all these good times and training and doing all this stuff. It was like my first race back was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And I was so afraid to do it as well. Like um, Brett put me in some time trial down with David Marsh's group. Was, I'd probably only been swimming, tra- I'd probably been training for about three months um, at that point. And, and certainly not, hadn't built enough to do a good 200 freestyle, but he put mm-hmm. me in the 200 free. And yeah, that, that, that event doesn't lie. I woke up, yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, and he'd yeah. you know, been putting, doing, giving me all the sprint training and doing all this, but at, at the time, he, he thought that I'd be a 200 swimmer. And so he was tra- um, trying to start training me in that way and put me in this 200 de- long before I was ready to do it. And I had so much anxiety about it. Like I woke up the morning of and in this like full body rash, just from, I'd never had any kind mm. of physical manifestation of stress or anxiety before in my life. And I've got this full body rash. I'm wondering what it is. I take myself to the urgent care and I'm trying to figure it out. And eventually I can kind of calm myself down and I go and do the race that night and it's just horrible. Like, and I, I remember, I remember coming back that night and sort of thinking, maybe this isn't for me. Mm. What am, am I in over my own head? Like, is this, you have the, that, that, that moment of- You're drinking your own Kool-Aid. Yeah, yeah. Was I, was I delirious in thinking mm. that this was possible for me? You know, it's just, is this gonna be too hard? And I, went, I was so frustrated that night. I think I, I think I maxed out on push-ups at like midnight and then mm. went to sleep. <laughs> just cause I had all this like pent up like frustration and anger in me and woke up the next day, not sure if I was gonna keep going. Mm. Um, and then I just looked in the mirror and thought, you know what, I've only given it three months. Let's give it six. And then after six months, if I'm still feeling this way, if I haven't seen anything else, if I haven't seen any 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 improvement or anything, I think you got to give it six to. Yeah. And then and then at six months, or yeah, it was about two and a half months later, I got my first um, qualifying time to go and compete at Australian Olympic trials. And that was, so that was my first right. little win. And then it started to snowball from, oh, there. from there. I'm so glad I saw those little two month, that two, three month period through. Is, is part of that, like that panic attack response, a function of the fact that you know, as someone who is a public figure, that whatever you do in the pool is gonna get talked about in a yeah. way that isn't gonna get talked about if you were just an average person. Oh, right? for sure, so yeah. I mean, I wish swim, swim, external didn't. factors of just who you are that make it different. Yeah, yeah, and knowing that, you know, I didn't even think about this when I when I first, when I went and did that little USC time trial where I went 51 mm-hmm. short course yards, like 
swims around and did some article about it. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I wish they, I wish they <laughs> did. Because like, I don't you? want that to be there. No, 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 not really. Not my guy Mel though. No, no, it wasn't trashing. Because I think at that point, people just, I think people didn't really know that I was, mm. you know, swimming or, or wanted to so swim seriously. So just curious that, that you would even. I think I think people just thought like, oh, that's kind of interesting, right. and and it's actually mm. not that bad for someone that right. did you know. Yeah, if you haven't been training swim. at all yeah. and you can jump in and pop off a 51, like yeah. good on you. Like if you come if you go in and see, you know, I don't know, Justin Bieber go and just do like some random track track and field right. meet and go like, you know, eleven for like a hundred. I know. I mean, like, this is the thing. You'd like, be like, what the hell? When you know? I'm <laughs> describing to other people, like I would talk to my wife and a couple of I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go talk to this guy, Cody. You know, uh and if they haven't um heard of you or don't know who you are, I'm like, just imagine. It's like it's like if Justin Bieber was also an Olympic athlete or Shawn Mendes or somebody like that, you know? <laughs> I suppose so, yeah, yeah. yeah. If Shawn all of a sudden was like on the Olympic uh, uh, hockey team or something. Mm. Not, um, that not that I've made the Olympics. But. One of the other things that, that, that you talked about with Brett was this tall poppy thing, like this, this very specific Aussie thing where yeah, we want, we, we love our underdogs. We want our underdogs to win, but then when they win, the relationship shifts a little bit, and it's like, don't get too big, buddy. Yeah, you know, we're yeah. quick to cut you down. And I, I was with, don't win again. I was, with, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, don't win again. Yeah, and don't win three times. I, I think it's heightened in Australia, but it's not unique to Australia. I think it's a no. Nah, there's a yeah. there's something human about that. Um, and I was I was with Ned Brockman the other day, who who you know ran across Australia and. Is very famous for his mullet, and yeah. and what's interesting about the mullet that he rocks is that on the one hand, it's authentically who he is. It's this kid who grew up on a farm, and Sparky was an apprentice to become an electrician, like kind of just a bloke, like yeah. like a blue collar guy, and that's who he is. Yeah. But the other piece of it, I think, is very intentional. Like he he maintains it because he understands that tall poppy phenomenon. Like he mm -hmm. wants to make sure everybody understands who he is and that he's true to kind of his roots. Yeah, um, yeah. So that uh, people are able to kind of meet him where he's at and and, and embrace him. But mm. you coming in with everything that happened in LA. I kind of grew up blah, away blah, blah, from blah. all that. Yeah, like I grew up away um, from the, the tall poppy right. thing. Like but I now you're in it, you're here and you're in it, yeah. right? Like, yeah. does that occupy, like you contend with that or? Yes and no. I think, um, I definitely think that, well, you know, living in LA, like people are a little bit more used to just people wearing whatever. Right. <laughs> and you you kind of don't really look twice if, you know, someone's wearing like silver pants or something, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But like here you'd, right. at least in the culture in Australia, like you'd kind of go, so that's, that's yeah. different, you know? I've seen, I've seen Justin Bieber's so, car. Yeah. <laughs> like that yeah. reflective have like metallic. A, like a chrome wrap, like Audi R8 or something. Whereas here people are like, what the hell, you know? I know. What are you doing, you, you wanker or whatever, you know? But like, so yeah, it's, it's certainly become more, become more conscious of it since moving back. But I feel like I kind of almost needed a bit of that mm -hmm. in my life. You know, over there it can, it, it can, Right. You, yeah. Actually, it was yeah. Healthy, it was healthy for you. To it was healthy for me to, that, to have yeah. that at that yeah, yeah, at, at that. that point. So and and I think now, um, yeah, I've had just enough of a dose of it to sort of mm -hmm. just level me out a little bit. But you're still an underdog. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. Which is cool. Yeah. I'd like to it's, always. It's stay, more fun to be on the, the underdog. Yeah. yeah. 
than trying to hold on yeah. to the top. Yeah. So you also happen to live with, uh, you cohabitate with your girlfriend, Emma, mm. who just so happens to also be like the most decorated Australian Olympian. Like yeah. she's for real. Yeah. Um, she's so for how real. has like, how has like her experience and obviously she's, you know, somebody who understands mindset, the champion mindset, like mm. how to achieve goals, all of that. Like, what have you learned from her experience that's allowed you to kind of um, compress your learning curve to getting to where you wanna be? Yeah, being, I guess being with her and spending so much time with her. Well, we, we first met when she, she was already in the squad that I joined when mm -hmm. I came back. So we met then and we always had a, a sort of a connection and a, a magnetism to each other, something we, we didn't address until um, after her Olympic feet and when she, she was she ended up being staying being away for another sort of six months after that. And it wasn't until she came back that we sort of connected and, and got together. Um, but it was always there from when we first met. And um, I think I think in a in a a good partner, you you recognize a lot of qualities that you yourself, I think, either would like to possess or, or already possess. Um, and I think we we sort of had that with each other. We recognized that we had sort of similar approaches to life and what mm -hmm. we do. And um, and at the same time, I I just saw that I saw the way she handled everything she she's doing and. Um, when we, when we first met, like she hadn't yet done what she did last year in to or in 2021 mm -hmm. in Tokyo. And, um, but I could see that it was gonna happen just the way she she approached each day. And sort of since I guess being in a relationship with her now and living with her now, I'm, I'm inspired by the way she, she's probably the most level-headed athlete of that, of that caliber that I've ever mm. come across. Um, and how do you account for that? Like, how does she maintain that? Uh, she's extremely, one, extremely, extremely close to her family, um, extremely grounded. And, and two, I think is never satisfied. Like, it's funny when she, just to see her perspective on what she's done, like she, didn't, she doesn't even know. Like you ask her how many mm. Olympic medals she's won. Like <laughs> she probably knows now that she's heard a lot of other people say it, but I think people, when she did it, she didn't really interesting. realize. Are like, they in the house here somewhere? She, no, they're not here. <laughs> she's got a few other things yeah. around, but um, even last year, like she became the, the most um, decorated Commonwealth athlete mm. of all time. Like not even Australian oh, or, all, or of all like time. just of any, wow. anyone. And then just and being did, Australian, she we're swimming. The games. I mean, you're like it's like Michael Jordan. I think that's here, true. I, you know? I, that I, I'm pretty sure that's the the, the stat. Mm. Um, but she finished the game, and she didn't know that. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, she just sort of has this really interesting approach to to the sport that doesn't sort of involve thinking about accolades or intrinsically or, motivated uh, as opposed to extrinsically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and is so calm through it all as well. Um, so I think it's hard to appreciate if you're not Australian the way that um, your like culture she's more successful now than, than swimming champions. Yeah, yeah. She's more decorated now than than Ian Thorpe and yeah, that's crazy. Susie O'Neill and these people that you know at least you grew up. Yeah, you know, looking at as just the the 
That's wild. I mean, I had, I had, um, I'm friends with Michael Klim. So I wake, you know, you wake up and yeah, yeah I don't really think about that yeah. when, I, when I, I look at it, but. Michael Klim shared with me, you know, what it was like. Klim's uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, when when that was at its peak insanity. And, you know, there were just like basically like, you know, 10 story high billboards of of him and his teammates like on on skyscrapers yeah. all over Sydney. And like, it was just, you know, like. So he's not like that anymore here. It's not. Um, I think at least Thorpe at least like the, the way, last gasp of that mm, like kind of superstar era. I think so. Like around Athens, mm-hmm. Thorpe who was Thor in Thorpe and Grant Hackett and that that era yeah. of, of swimmers. I think I think it sort of was was at its peak, obviously around Sydney Olympics being what it was in Australia and, and sort of every athlete that was successful in Sydney Olympics was a absolute megastar. And then I think it's that sort of carried through to say Athens and then beyond that mm-hmm. Australian swimming, I don't think was as, as sort of, um, I suppose, I suppose wasn't as, as, as at the forefront of people's mm-hmm. minds. Or, well, or now whatever. it's on you, buddy. But you, um, <laughs> you, as, a, as an Australian patriot to bring yeah. it back, you and Emma. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think that's changing a little bit and has been changing the last few years um, just with the success that they had and that she had in, in Tokyo and, People, you know, it's it's like in the news again, and it's in, in the newspapers and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine what that was like then, because mm-hmm. those guys were on top of the world at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, just the idea of making manifest a dream, whether it's a creative dream, an athletic dream, like any, you know, anything. Like, how do you think about uh, you know tackling difficult problems, weathering the challenges, and the setbacks that inherently come with that and like kind of staying in the game, like to go from being like, I could be at any party in LA right now and I'm choosing to stare at a black line. (laughs) Like there's a level of like discipline and like self-regulation there that I think is intrinsic to your success. Um, Maybe that's God gifted, but also I think it's something that you can develop a capacity for. You can develop it, absolutely. Um, and I think I did develop it slowly. I think over a couple of years, like building up the, um, I suppose, confidence to to make the changes and sacrifices I made to get back in the pool or mm-hmm. to cha- change my lifestyle. Um, I think that the the work ethic side of, of it for me has always been semi-natural the 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 capacity or willingness to i guess quote unquote do whatever it takes um and to prepare for and 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 never 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 like under preparing for anything Mm -hmm. always always doing what's necessary um has been something that has come naturally to me i think do what Um, others won't yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um Either it's come naturally to me, or I was just sort of taught through my through my youth, I guess swimming, and then and then everything else, sort of how to how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, it's in me now, uh, and I suppose yeah, developing the awareness that failure isn't failure really. Failure are just. Um, it's information. It's information. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's information. It's it's um, you know a, a bad race or a bad session or something is just as important as a good one, um, and I think just developing the capacity for resilience I think is important. But the only way you can do that is by putting yourself in 
uncomfortable situations or, or forcing yourself to do things that you just didn't or don't think you can do. Um, and I think that was part of what I think Brett Hawke was really good at with me in the, in the beginning was that, and he, he talks about it now, was that for the first six months, he, just, he said he was just trying to break me all the time. <laughs> I remember it was probably only about, because if he could break you, he could save time and you'll just go back to being yeah. a musician. Like, let's <laughs> exactly. just hard press him now. Let's just get this out of the way, yeah. 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 And, and he, he said he tried and tried so many times and I'd, I'd, I'd get out and throw up and then get back in. Mm. Just like we had so many moments that early on where I had, I had no sort of aerobic fitness or, or capacity for lactate or yeah, any you, of that you stuff. You hadn't been a swimmer long enough to no. even develop that base that you no. can tap into so some later. Of the stuff that he was trying to make me do at that time would just make me vomit. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that was probably two, three times a week for a while until I was a little fitter. Um, I remember one morning, like I'd, I'd just broken up with my girlfriend the night before. Um, and I come in the next day, I'm, I'm you know, down and and whatever and he he goes okay 200 fly time trial it's like what the fuck you know and he goes what if you break up with your girlfriend up before the olympics in four Mm. years you got to be able to get up and you know do this and just little things like that that um getting so far out of your comfort zone that you 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 just feel like you're off in the deep end you know, and then you start and create to create resilience. Yeah, it creates yeah. resilience within you. And and um, so I think that's just something I've been slowly developing those building blocks of resilience sort of since I started swimming again. Um, I, yeah, you, sometimes you just sort of just have to jump off the deep end and then find your feet mm-hmm. once you're out there. Um, you're never gonna be ready. That's that's what I've realized. Right. You're never gonna be ready or, or think, you're never gonna feel ready, sorry. You might, so you might as well train to do it when you're not ready. Yeah, yeah. And if the stars align and you are ready, great, but you know how to do it when everything's not yeah. lined up the way you wish it would be. Yeah, exactly. And just, you just start doing things. And, and you, know that, you know that the first time you do it, you know, for example, say a 200 fly, when he actually, he actually made me do one the very first day he got to LA to train uh-huh. me. And like, it was, it was horrible, you know. It was it was the most painful thing <laughs> ever. Um, you got the elephant and on he your goes, back on that. He goes, okay, well, we, he, yeah. Oh, mate, I could hardly finish it. And he goes, okay, well, we got that out of the way. Like that's the worst it's ever going to feel. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, that was horrible, but it wasn't. My life's not over. Like it wasn't that bad, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, that, if that's the worst it's ever going to feel, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just finding, figuring out those unknowns. So it was developing a mental toolkit. Like if you're, oh, then now I have something to build on. Like it's just a yeah. different lens to like look at where you're at. Yeah, and, and look at it and as doing something rather than doing something yeah. for the first time, no matter how bad it is, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's writing your first song or writing your first screenplay or or your first day at a new job or something, like just do it, no matter how shit it is, you know. Mm-hmm. And the next one will be better, and then so on. And before you know it, it's almost like that compound interest th- theory or that like theory that, you know, uh, what's that theory? You, if you double something, every time you double That's it. That's compounding, yeah, yeah. 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 So, ba- so it yeah, starts to become exponentially. You're, you're, yeah, you're building it with these little micro habits over time. And then and you it, get to, you yeah, it's invisible and, then, and it's yeah. anonymous until one day it isn't. 
Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Are you writing songs? Like you must be too tired to be writing songs. And well, now you're in taper. Maybe you got a little more energy. It's so funny that the, my having experienced the way like my creative, my creative side or impulses are so dampened by my exhaustion mm. of training. Like I'll take a break from training. Like we might get two weeks off for the year or something. And then like a couple of days into that two weeks, all of a sudden I'm just having all Waterfall. these crazy ideas and all these, and I'm like, why isn't it always like this? And I was, and then I remember how tired <laughs> I am usually all the time. Um, Cause you're swimming 20,000 yeah. meters a day dude, yeah. or whatever it is. But I'm still, um, I'm still riding. Yeah, I'm still playing. Not not as much as I would be otherwise, but yeah, mm-hmm. I try not to sort of let that let that fade too too much. I'm still sort of compiling ideas and songs and things that I can come back to when I have the time. Yeah, um, yeah, cool. and I will I will eventually be starting to play and make music again. Yeah, I I'm have, looking forward I, to the day. I'm, I, I'm not worried about that. Yeah. I have no <laughs> doubt. You know that will come when it's supposed to come. Um, but in the meantime, dude, like honor to talk to you. I'm a fan, um, super supportive of this mission that you're on. I think it takes a lot of courage to, you know, kind of make the moves that you, that you have. And uh, I think there's so much to be learned by the example that you're setting. And I feel like you're, you're showing up in a way that um, is setting a really positive example for other people and how they kind of think about their own dreams in their own life. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. credit to you. My boy, Osher Gunsberg says, hi, you won cool. the mass singer. <laughs> yeah. He said you were a total pro. Like just, he's like, that guy's a real deal. Like, you know, he, wanted, cool. to, he wanted to pass along well yeah. wishes to you as well. And um, we didn't even talk about Prince Neptune. You're an entrepreneur, oh, yeah. <laughs> you've got a garment line. And also there's a, isn't there a documentary out there kind of chronicling your swim? I, yeah. This all came together so quickly that I wasn't able to like see that or. Yeah, no, this, that was, um, it's cool having that. Cause that documents the early, the very early days of, mm-hmm. of me getting back into it. There was a documentary following, it's on Prime Video, uh-huh. um, doc, documenting or following four different Australian swimmers um, at different stages in their career. Um, Ian Thorpe was one of them, um, and uh, so I was I was in that, and they were sort of documenting the early stages mm-hmm. of me making the transition and coming in, and um, and so that's out there. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, well, yeah. we'll link that up in the show notes. Yeah. Your Cody Simpson. It's called Head, all the head Above Water. That, head Above Water. That's what it's called. Water, okay, yeah. cool. Um, right on, man. You gonna play a song? Thanks. Come on. <laughs> Um, if I can have, if I can have a second, if I can have a second, to figure something out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, much love, dude. Thanks, man. Appreciate I appreciate you having yeah, me on. Thanks, dude. Thanks. Cheers. Peace. This was the last song on the latest record I released in 2022, and the title is "You Don't Know Me," which I thought was kind of semi-appropriate for this chat. <laughs> now we do that. Now you do. I can feel you letting go 
How's it gonna be? That's it for today. Thank you for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links and resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at richroll.com where you can find the entire podcast archive as well as podcast merch, my books, Finding Ultra, Voicing Change in the Plant Power Way, as well as the Plant Power Meal Planner at meals.richroll.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on YouTube, and leave a review and or comment. Supporting the sponsors who support the show is also important and appreciated. And sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends or on social media is, of course, awesome and very helpful. And finally, for podcast updates, special offers on books, The Meal Planner, and other subjects, please subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find on the footer of any page at richroll.com. 
Today's show was produced and engineered by Jason Camiolo with additional audio engineering by Kale Curtis. The video edition of the podcast was created by Blake Curtis with assistance by our creative director, Dan Drake. Portraits by Davey Greenberg. Graphic and social media assets courtesy of Daniel Solis, as well as Dan Drake. Thank you, Georgia Whaley, for copywriting and website management. And of course, our theme music was created by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Harry Mathis. Appreciate the love. Love the support. See you back here soon. Peace. Plants.